Good morning. Before we go any farther, we have to acknowledge someone who is very fresh from heaven here in our congregation. John and Alana, congratulations on your wee one. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I am Pastor Tammy. I am the pastor to families with children here at First Naz, and I am honored to be able to bring you God's word today. I just need a little bit more prayer. Can we just bow my head and ask God to just, Holy Spirit, to be with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, I just ask that your spirit would be with me today, that the words that I speak would be words that you would have your congregation to hear, that your people would be blessed, that they would grow, that they would know that you love them so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. I tried to write this sermon all week, and I was trying to write it from a certain viewpoint, but my personal story kept getting in the way. Uh, And then a new friend reminded me, your story matters. Your story matters, and it is exactly what God will use. You matter to God's story now. You see, part of my story is that I have a love-hate relationship with church. (sighs) And do not acknowledge that that puts me in a position of not knowing how to speak about this without acknowledging that. I've had times in my life where I've sat across the table with a pastor friend, and I have cried out my heart to her, and I have said, I hate church. The people aren't friendly. I keep volunteering for things and nobody calls me and all they want me to do is work in nursery. (laughs) Nursery. Well, if you can relate or someone you know has a similar experience, for so many years I felt on the edges of my faith community. Like I didn't quite fit or belong and other times I felt I was at the center of it all. And at times, I felt weird, I felt forgotten, I felt shunned, marginalized, betrayed, and shamed. Many people I have talked to who used to be Christians, and honestly a lot that still are, feel the same way when I listen to their stories again and again. In my early 20s, I actually left the church. It didn't happen all at once. Over the course of about six months, my friends and my job became so much more important than church and then boyfriends and then career. Three years later, I find myself sobbing in my garden with this deep desire in my heart for God. You see, what I didn't realize is that I had a praying dad and God never forgets our children when they wander away from him. I didn't know, but my dad never stopped praying for me. My mom neither. But (laughs) I knew that my dad was meeting with other people. He was pouring out his heart about his daughter, and they were praying together that I would come back to God. I wiped 
my tears away that morning, and I got myself to church. And at church, I was terrified. I sat in the parking lot in front of the building, and I prayed a simple, help me Jesus prayer. And I was greeted at the door by some overly happy greeters. And it was all familiar, and it was so overwhelming. And I felt this intense need in the very depths of me to run. (laughs) The pressure to leave was crippling. And honestly, that first day, I made it five minutes before I bolted. But the Holy Spirit kept in my heart. And I came back next week, and I stayed 10 minutes. And I came back the next week, and I stayed 15. (laughs) It was really slow, but every week I kept coming back. And it wasn't because there was awesome people here. It was because I felt an acute need for God. Slowly, I started to stay longer. I stayed for potluck, and then I joined a small group. That one again came in little tiny bits of being able to be present there. It doesn't happen all at once for many of us. I felt God in my life for the first time personally. Now, I've been raised in a Christian home. My dad was a chaplain, my mom played the piano, helped in kids' ministry. I was not foreign to the message of Christ. But this was my first time as an adult that I was saying, I choose this for my life. This hunger within me for God, I cannot deny. And he brought me back to him. I invested my time in prayer and reading my Bible. My mind was being renewed, and I was being able to discern so much more clearly what was good and what God's will was for my life. I had to make some big changes. I broke off an engagement. I moved to another province, got a different job. But I had the courage within me when I moved to fully embrace being a part of a church family. I would love to say that that was the end of my love-hate relationship with church, but it wasn't. I found that the more that we listen to people's stories, the more we hear themes in what people talk about. Sometimes we hear people talk about their kids. We talk about people. They talk about the guy next door. They talk about the, the lady that cut them off in traffic. Other people talk about ideas and the weather. Here in Alberta, we tend to talk about the weather a lot because it changes constantly. Though it is, however, this theme that keeps intertwining its way into our conversations, and that is the theme of belonging, of home. I hear that people are willing to fight for it, they long for it, they tend for it, they tend it, and they just desire its warmth. And sometimes we feel we can almost grasp home, and then it's ripped away from us. Other times we are so tired at staring at the same four walls around us. Home, just the word evokes emotion. House, not quite the same. The very first home that God gave his beloved children was a garden. The garden was perfection, the perfect home. We imagine this garden to be a beautiful place, having newly been created. Can you imagine how tall the plants must have been? Oh, how fragrant, how lush. 
and the trees and bushes covered in fruits and berries. What's your favorite fruit? Can you imagine just reaching out, taking a great big bite of it, and being there in that presence? I like to imagine sunrises and sunsets in the garden. I think they're just about the most beautiful thing God created, and I just, to to make that even bigger and more amazing, and what it might have been for Adam and Eve, I can barely imagine what that was like. This home, this place of habitation, was where God would come in the cool of the day. In the evening, he would walk with them. Can you imagine? But the real home there in the garden was not the beauty of the environment. That was just the love spoken from a heart that adored them. The real home in the garden was the presence of God. What would it have been like to meet with him? To be there with him daily, to be in his presence, to be able to ask him anything, to adore him in person, to express how very much you love him, and to hear his words of adoration spoke to your heart. What would we do? Would we be more open? Would we talk about our hurts? Would we, never knowing the hurt and shame of this world though, would we do anything for him? Would we give him anything? Never want it to end, just being in his presence. When I was a girl, we used to go visiting. Now this could be to a friend's house or a church member's home, and I loved to go visiting. Now, all of us that went visiting were few. There was just my dad, my mom, and I. I was an only child till I was about 11 and a half years old. And so I was so excited when mom and dad would say, they have kids. And I never, oh, I would just go and I would love being in their home. They would show me the creek out back. They would show me the farm. And I just loved to explore this new home. And it was always just an amazing adventure. I remember laughing a lot and telling a lot of stories. We talked about our life, about our future plans, about the boys at school, and (laughs) we talked about God. And inevitably, evening would come. And this was usually the sign that it was time to go home. Sometimes we'd stay for a campfire or evening worship. But we always knew that if Dad said, time to go home, that meant we at least had 30 more minutes because dad liked to talk. Maybe you are like that or have a spouse like that. Well, my dad loved to talk. And anyone who has a partner or spouse like that knows that it gives you that little bit of extra time just to spend in a place maybe that you love to be or maybe not. But when we would get in the car and that car would pull out of the driveway, there was always this little well of sadness that would sit in my heart. I knew it would never be exactly the same way again. I knew that it would be a long time until he returned, and that I would achingly miss my friends until we could see each other again. I believe that God felt similar to this when Adam and Eve could no longer be in the garden. God himself was the one to confront their sin and issue judgment. He knew it would never be exactly the same again. He knew it would be a long time until he returned, and his heart overwhelmingly ached at the thought of missing his friends, us. God's heart ached for us. He searched for a way to reconcile us to him. And ever since, us humans have carried an emptiness, a longing, a tiny ache, and we search for belonging, for purpose, 
for a home. Uh, tell me that you can relate to me, <laughs> that you can relate to that. Even as a preschooler, I could barely wait to go to school. I was so excited. I thought all the cool things that were going to happen there, and I'd read books about it, and I, oh my goodness, I was so excited. I was going to preschool. <clears throat> well, my mom took me to daycare. And within the first week, I already had ascertained that the adults did not adore me because they told me to be quiet at nap time. And the other kids, oh, they were okay, but the fact that I was unconscious under the monkey bars did not bode well. <laughs> and the same thing with school. <clears throat> with school, again, so excited and so disappointed in high school. The next major thing most of us look forward to, we see it so idealized, so idealized on TV and in media, and it looks like it's just going to be so much fun, but the reality of it is that many of us have had very challenging high school experiences, and that was even before this generation's high school experience during the pandemic. Some of us temporarily found a home and belonging in high school, but as adulthood crept in, so did our desire for home. And we searched for it in relationships, in magazines, in building our credit, in mortgages, and degrees, and jobs that were supposed to make us happy. Many of us have found a church that we call ours. Have you ever heard of the concept of messy church? I know, I believe it was the United Church that started this concept of messy church. When I first saw the sign, I didn't know what it meant, and I was like, whew, a place where we can be real and authentic? Wow. Messy churches where kids get together with leaders and they do messy crafts and they learn about Jesus. But I liked my version of it too. It was a place where we can be real, we can be authentic, we can be messy. Some of us grew up in church. We went to church every weekend, we brought our Bible, we said our memory verse, we earned NAS dollars, we sang all the songs at the top of our lungs, and for so long we were told that we would be the leaders of tomorrow, that we were the church. Some of us started coming to church as adults, and we became because we believed that this would be a safe place for our kids, that we would find other adults who loved Jesus, and we would be surrounded by good Christian people. Even though I was one of the people fortunate to be raised in a Christian home, I idealized what the perfect church looked like for so long. This was where everyone was going to get along, where everyone felt cared about. The music was awesome. The small groups were tight. It was perfect. But the more time I've actually spent in church, the more I've realized, in fact, that it is downright messy. It is imperfect people, and it is imperfect relationships, and that's okay. In Romans, Paul writes a letter. He writes a list of Christian ethics that we read here earlier today, and as Christians, how we're to live our lives with each other. And as I read that, as I hear it, I'm tempted to use it as a checklist. I'm tempted to look at it and my perfectionist brain goes haywire and well, I should be like this and like this and like this. I got that one going on, check. Oh, but what about that person? Are they living up to these standards? How can they call themselves Christians if they're not? And then we realize that Paul is not writing to a perfect church. 
He was writing to people that were just as messy as we are today. He was writing to people who were struggling. He was writing to people who were struggling with being hypocrites, with saying one thing to another and doing another. He was showing them that there was to find freedom from their hypocrisy. He was writing to those who loved drama of evil things, that were attracted to things that were not good for them. He was writing to people who were struggled with loving each other as family and really found it hard to treat someone with honor, who did not deserve honor in their eyes. Some were lazy. They felt hopeless, impatient with the hard things of life, and were tired of praying all the time when they did not see answers for their problems right away. Was it any easier for them to meet people's needs to open their hearts and homes to each other than us? Was it easier for them to bless other people that hurt them? And those are just the first five verses of the portion that we read today. When we read the Bible, there's something that I've learned about discerning what the words mean there and finding out what God is truly speaking to us. First, we look at the verse itself. We can dig deep just into the verse itself. We can look at what the words mean. If we want to go real deep, we can look at what the Greek and the Hebrew meaning of those words mean. Secondly, we look at the chapter. We look at the chapter. Does the chapter shed more light on what we are trying to understand? And from there, we move to look to the book, its purpose, the cultural ramifications. But in deciphering today's passage, we look only to the beginning of the chapter, and God does not disappoint. Here in a way which we can live a truly ethical Christian life. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans 12, 1 to 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies in a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we read the Bible, we ourselves are not capable of perfectly emulating a perfect Christian. God does not expect us to. His desire is for us to be transformed, to renew our minds so that we can tell how God wants us to live our life. And this includes the messy, incredible relationships that we have with people, even here at church. Renewing our mind means that we interpret life through the lens of God's Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit rather than through the lens of our experience, our woundedness, our trauma, our preferences, or opinions of others. It is fundamental shift towards seeing the world, yourself, and others through God, and especially what is possible from a kingdom perspective. It's making those decisions one by one, moment by moment, I once knew a person that took this to the extreme, and I know it was a time of learning in his life, but in, for a few months he said, God, I'm going to ask you about absolutely everything. And he did. It drove us nuts. But it was so interesting to see this man walk through the season in his life. He asked God things about what route to take, how many how many teaspoons of sugar in his tea? Things like this. It was the time.
tiny, minuscule things. And we thought he was crazy. But at the same time, when I think about it, I go, maybe he was just in a season where he needed to do that for his relationship with God. To go, I need to know that the decisions I'm making are through that lens that God has for me. What if we interpreted our relationships with people at church through the lens of God's Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit rather than through the lens of our experiences? All of us at some time have felt the sting of betrayal and the disappointment of relationships. No matter what the relationship is, whether it be romantic, sibling, parental, or coworker, it never delivers on all of the hype. We fantasize about the perfect relationship of trust, but then come face to face with the reality, and sometimes reality bites. And we're left wondering, are relationships worth all of the trouble? Like everything else, in order to answer the question, we must look to the Bible to hear what God has to say about relationships. And first, we must recognize that God himself said that it is not good for a man to be alone. In Genesis 2.18, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This statement indicates God's design for humanity. God did not create us to be alone, but created us to be relational. God created us to be relational because He is relational. He has always existed in a perfect relationship in the Trinity. God is not saying that Adam is lonely, and so He took pity on him. He is saying, I did not create Adam to be alone, and so I will give him someone he can relate to. At the beginning of mankind's existence, God established the fact that man is not designed to be alone or woman. As we think about it, it's clear that the main relationship that God intends man to have is with whom? With God. Yes, our relationship with God forms the foundation of our relationships with everyone. We look for all of the ways to build our relationships. There's, you know, you go on TikTok, you go on Instagram, you, you read things on the internet. Every magazine you see um, at the grocery store has some advice about relationships. But the reality is, is that none of them really have the answer for what about our relationships when a lot of us are just dealing with being selfish. Jesus is the really only hope we have for addressing our real issue, and that is the issue of our heart. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness, and therefore most gladly I would rather boast of my infirmities than the power, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How many of you have been discouraged and disappointed in relationships? How many of you feel the task of forging perfect relationships? Good. Because in forging God-honoring relationships, there is something that we have to realize. There is no human relationship that will ever satisfy, and every human relationship that we have has been affected by sin. Our church is filled with imperfect people in imperfect relationships. Our human relationships are broken. And yet the Bible is clear that we need human relationships, and so what do we do? Here is the hope and truth we all need. 
The shed blood of Jesus Christ forms the foundation for our relationships with God and our relationships with other people. Relationships are messy, but are they worth it? Definitely they are. Relationships are worth it because it is against our created nature to be alone. We may sometimes be tempted to idolize relationships, but we must realize they can never truly satisfy. We must also realize that there's no human strategies that can fix or heal our relationships, but we must carry our seemingly hopeless relationships to Jesus and trust that he is, what he is doing in our lives. Relationships are worth it because Christ has healed our relationship with the Father so that we can share with others how their relationships with the Father and with each other can be mended. Enter into his presence. As I am known to say, curl up with Jesus. Allow him to minister through the parts of brokenness in your heart. Dive into his word, delve into his word, and spend time there. So much so that you know him, the sound of his voice, his touch, his will. It is his presence that we long for. It is a relationship with him that we are looking for. That home that is that little ache in our heart, it's him. And he calls us to have relationships with each other, to know him better through each other, to risk vulnerability and enter into these imperfect relationships with imperfect people. Yes, relationships are messy. And yes, church is messy, but it is so worth it. Can I ask the praise team to come up?